that's going to go on for like five more minutes. Um, so we'll stop there. Uh, but if you're visiting today, we don't normally watch cartoons, uh, but we're working through our series in Jonah, and so we are um, we're tracking each week as we go along with where we are in uh, the VeggieTales Jonah movie. And today, we um, get to Jonah's redemption. Um, now, what happens is this, uh, just to track with us and, and keep us caught up so far, that Jonah is um, a prophet. And a prophet is someone who receives a word from the Lord, and the prophet's job is to go and communicate what God has said and to give it to people. And prophets are, are um, in the Old Testament, we see prophets all the time, um, and typically their message isn't awesome. Typically their message is, hey people, you're doing it wrong. God says don't do that. If you keep doing that, you're going to have trouble. If you stop doing that, God will... Um, bless you. And so there tends to be this tension with prophets where we need to hear what they have to say, but we don't like to hear what they have to say. Sometimes it's a lot like pastors, right? We come to church and we need to hear sometimes what pastors have to say, but we don't always love what pastors have to say because it can hurt and it can sting a little bit. But that's what happens with Jonah. God gives him a word of the Lord. The word of the Lord says, go to Nineveh, tell Nineveh, man, you guys are evil. You do evil things. And God is going to bring judgment on you. But Jonah knows that the word of God is powerful. And Jonah knows that when people hear the word of God, they have a tendency to repent. And repent is this big idea. Repent is when I stop and I turn 180 degrees and I go the other direction with prejudice. I go. And Jonah knows that when the people repent, that God will, instead of bringing the disaster on them, God will bless them, and God will reward their repentance, and God will show favor to them. And Jonah hates Ninevites. He hates Nineveh. He doesn't like those people. He doesn't want God's disaster to stay away from them. And so what happens is he gets on a boat, and he heads in the complete opposite direction. God's not having it. Jonah's got a job to do. He's not allowed to run away from the Lord. So God sends a storm to the boat, and the storm is about to destroy the boat. The sailors are terrified, and they shout out, what are we supposed to do? And Jonah says, well, it's all because of me. I decided to run away from God. You shouldn't die because of me running away from God. Throw me overboard. They don't want to do it, but there's no way out. And so they take Jonah, and they toss him overboard, and immediately the storm stops. And God has arranged, the word tells us, for a giant fish to swallow Jonah. And we think, okay, right there, I must know that it's a fable. I must know that it's, it's a parable. It's not real. But wait, no. This is a real historical thing that happened, and I know it sounds fanciful. I get it, right? But this is a real event. And so God has arranged for a fish, we'll call it a whale, a whale to swallow Jonah. And then we read that Jonah was in the belly of the whale— for three days and three nights. And that's where we left off last week. Jonah is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad mission trip, and it has gone from bad to worse every step of the way. And what he needs now, and what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2, is he needs something called repentance. See, 
everything we talk about today is going to be about this idea of repentance, okay? And repentance takes a couple of things um, for it to work and happen well, okay? First things first, you, you need to understand this, that repentance is the key to forgiveness, um, it's, it's not just about what you, can I pause you all for just a second? Hey guys, you really got to unplug that clock. Cause in a little while it's going to make the worst noise ever. Daylight savings, things get reset. It was about to yell really loudly at us. Nobody wants that. Okay. If you've got a baby in here that's sleeping, you really don't want it. Okay. Thank you. Anyway. So, so, um, where were we? Oh yeah. Repentance. Repentance is the key to forgiveness. See, what you have to understand is that when you go and you seek forgiveness, it's not about what you say. It's about your heart. And you know that as a parent, right? I mean, how many of you, raise your hand if you've ever sent your kid to his room or her room for a timeout? Right. Go to your room. Maybe you've sent them to the corner. Maybe their room is way too much fun and you sent them to your room. My parents used to do that one to me all the time. Don't go to your room. Your room's got all the toys. You go to my room because my room is boring. You sit there and you think about what you've done. And my parents, and then so I copy my parents, my kids, and they haven't had timeouts in a really long time. Uh, Obviously, they're a little old for that. But um, what happens is I would send them to the room and I would tell them, you can come out when you're sorry. When you're sorry. And you mean it. And so they would come out after about 30 seconds. (laughs) I'm sorry. And invariably, I would say, go back to your room, try again. And this would happen a few more times before finally you would see it in their countenance. There would be a breaking. Not a breaking in a bad way, but a breaking in a good way where they would finally come and, and in brokenness, they would just say... I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I knew better. Where all of a sudden the attitude went from defensiveness and harshness to humbleness and contriteness. And, and, and that's part of what repentance really is. See, when we talk about repentance, when we talk about this, and, and we're going we're gonna to deal with this so much today in the text that we have to understand what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that when you are seeking forgiveness from God, And every single one of you in here today needs to seek forgiveness from God. Many of you might need to seek forgiveness from other people, okay? And that's important, and you should explore that if that's true. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea that you need to seek forgiveness from God. If you are not a Christian here today, and you don't know Jesus personally, then you need to seek forgiveness for your sinfulness in general. And you need, to, you need to seek forgiveness for the fact that you are a broken, sinful person. Uh, we're all broken and sinful, but we need to experience this moment of forgiveness where God says, yes, I forgive you, and in Christ you are forgiven, and in Christ now you are my child. And we all need to experience that. But even as Christians, there are moments where we need to experience genuine radical, daily forgiveness from God, because we will all make mistakes. Nobody is going to be perfect. And so we have to understand well the idea of repentance. And repentance is more than the words that you say. It's more than the idea of, I'm sorry, but it's something about your heart. It's something about your attitude. It's something in you that says, in brokenness and humility, yes, 
I'm wrong and I know it. And I'm ready to follow you. You know as well as me, if you think back to kids or um, with friends or other people that have apologized to you, that it means nothing when the words I'm sorry happen and then the behavior is the same as it's always been. In fact, that's more frustrating than anything else. But real repentance is a heart attitude. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to do this in a couple of ways. One is we're going to very quickly look through the 10 verses in Jonah 2. And we're going to see how this narrative plays out. We're going to see how Jonah seeks forgiveness. We're going to look at his words. And then we're going to see um, in Psalm 40, as we lead into communion, we're going to see two key factors in repentance and one key truth in repentance. And I think um, if you track with me here, um, it, it's going to make a difference. You're going to understand and, and it's going to be good because this revolutionizes the way that we do things. So Jonah 2.1 starts with this. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now I want you to understand something there if you've been tracking through that Jonah prayed regularly. He was a prophet. He prayed regularly to receive the word of the Lord. Um, he received the word of the Lord that said, go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, to Nineveh, I'm sorry. And that is the last time that God and Jonah talked. I mean, this is a prophet. He hears from God all the time. He and God are tight. They're in close relationship. God says, go do this thing. Jonah says, I don't want to do that thing. And all of a sudden their communication stops. Now here's the thing. It is not because God went away. In this scenario, and this is a great picture because it's the same thing that happens to us. Jonah is the one that does the running away from God. God does not leave. God hasn't changed. God isn't going anywhere. Jonah is the one that's running. See, they're having this communication in this relationship. God says, go to Nineveh. He's probably not going to send you to Nineveh, right? But he may tell you to enter into a relationship with someone that you don't know. He may tell you to be more generous than you want to be. He may tell you to open your home up and be hospitable with people that you don't necessarily want to be hospitable with. He may tell you to go offer forgiveness to somebody that really hurts you. I don't know exactly what it is that God might call you to do, but it happens. But he tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to, and so Jonah stops talking to God right there. He runs in the opposite direction. I don't know what they used to have in Old Testament times, but... In our vernacular, he stops at the ATM. He pulls out cash. He catches a bus all the way, okay? Um, and then he hops on a boat so he can go even further away to Tarshish. Still not talking to God. A huge storm comes and starts shaking and threatening the boat. Everybody else on the boat is praying out to their gods, but not Jonah. Still not talking to God. They cast lots to see who's at fault. The lots fall to Jonah. Jonah says, yeah, you know what? God told me to do something. I'm not doing it. That's why we're all about to die. So you better throw me in the river. Throw me in the sea. Throw me overboard so that you all will live and I'll be the one that dies. Still, to this point, Jonah refuses to pray to God. He would rather die. See, track that. He would rather die than repent. Let me ask, you ever been that mad at God? that you would rather die than repent. I remember having that thought as a kid, not to God, but to my parents. Like I'd be in my room in trouble. I remember once, so you, you remember those compasses that you used in math class where you put the pencil in one end and you had the sharp pointy end in the other, and then, you know, you would make a circle. 
they also were really good for carving your name and stuff <laughs> that you weren't supposed to carve your name into. I remember getting in trouble for that. Here's the deal. Did you do it? No, I didn't do it, Mom. I didn't do it. It's your name, son. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Maybe it came that way. She's like, well, you, you remember your homework that you turn in all the time and how sometimes you get your A's backwards? I was like six. She's like, well, the A's backwards in this one. So it kind of looks like you did it. I didn't do it. Well, go to your room until you're sorry. I remember sitting in my room actually fantasizing, right? As a six-year-old. Now, six-year-old, well, you're dumb at six. I'm not much better at 42, but at six, I was really dumb. And I was thinking, well, if I die in here while they're so mad at me, that will teach them. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what exactly it was going to teach them, but that was what, like, like now, I mean, that, that's all metaphorical, right? Jonah's actually like, I would rather die than have to face this. Um, but God arranges for um, his deliverance. So the, the whale, the fish, swallows him, and he's inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then finally, I mean, I don't want you to miss the level of stubbornness of this guy. Finally, Jonah prays to the Lord his God. Remember we said last week that when you are disobedient, what starts to happen, when you are knowingly disobedient, you start to get spiritually numb. What I mean by that is when you do things that God has very clearly said don't do, and you do them in full understanding that you can because you want to, and that it should be fine, you don't have to follow God, you can do whatever you feel like, and you act that way, you get spiritually numb to the point where you don't want anything to do with the God of the universe. And that's where Jonah was, man, three days inside a fish. Listen to me. That's a long time to be inside a fish, right? None of us are inside a fish, but man, some of us have gone a long time without just giving in and praying and asking God, okay? We keep going. Here's what he says when he finally prays, and his prayer is good. Um, it's a little cryptic because um, it's poetic, but, but we can track it here. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. So in my distress, finally, after three days and three nights and a huge storm and running the other way and doing all this, finally I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me. You know what's awesome about that? God's not stubborn. The Lord isn't stubborn. We're stubborn. We run the other direction. We refuse to talk to God. But as soon as we're ready, listen to me. If you are here today and because of spiritual numbness or whatever it is, you have refused to talk to God for a long time. You've just refused to, to have anything to do with him. And then you get to a point where you are bold enough or brave enough or I, maybe broken enough. I don't know. And you finally call out to God and that finally happens. Guess what? God will answer. It may not be exactly what you want to hear. And God answering does not mean that you are automatically going to be free from all of the problems. But God will answer. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. 
We keep going. You hurled me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. Now, I love about this is that Jonah recognizes something here. You hurled me. Jonah understands what's happening. Jonah understands that, that uh, what, what, what he's experiencing is a God hardening the circumstances of his life. Okay? Now, listen to me. If you are here and you are not sure what to think about the God of the universe, if you're here this morning and you're not sure how to make all this make sense, listen very carefully to this because a wrong understanding of this could mess you up. Okay? But when you run away from God, very often, and we talked about that, we talk about this all the time, but you just, you got to understand, when you run away from God, very often there is a hardening of your circumstances. There's a hardening of your circumstances that God is doing, not because he's mad at you, not because he's punishing you, not because he's out to get you, but because he wants redemption for you. See, this is all about redemption. This is all about repentance and redemption. And so you're here and God hardens the circumstances around you so that the pressure builds and it mounts and it builds and it mounts. And we say, okay, God, I want you to let up. God, I want you to relent. God, help me through this. God, make this easier for me. And the answer from God very simply is no. I'm not going to make this easier for you. I'm not going to soften the circumstances. I'm not going to make it easy for you to, to, to live a life that drives you away from me. Instead, what God does when he's doing that, he's hardening the circumstances around you to draw you closer to him so that you will understand this is not for me, but God is for me. He's wanting you to get to the point where you will repent. So when things start to fall apart, oftentimes it might, it's not always, but it might be because God is hardening circumstances. You know, when, when your wife discovers your emails that you hoped she wouldn't discover, right? When your husband checks the, the balance of the bank account or sees the credit card statement, you hoped they wouldn't see that. Or your boss sits down with you and says, you know what? Um, I, I, I've taken a look at your expense reports and they don't, they don't line up where they should be. We say, okay, God, help me out of this. But God sometimes brings that pressure on. I mean, your sin did it, but he is making it known and he's bringing pressure so that you'll be in a position where you have to deal because that's what he wants is for you to deal. So Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea and the current swirled above me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. See, this is where Jonah is. He's like, I've been banished from your sight, but now that I'm in prayer, now that I'm coming back to you, I will Look at your temple. I'll look at your presence. We will be connected again. And sometimes this happens too. When you are in Christ, right? I don't want you to worry that every sin takes you out of Christ. That's not the way this works. Okay, when you are in Christ, you will sin because we all sin. We, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. I sin all the time. I don't mean to. I try to grow. I try to do better, but I mess up all the time. Okay? And when I'm in sin, what happens is if I repent, then I feel God and I close. But if I don't, then I start to lose that intimate relationship. Okay? It's like when Carrie and I have a fight, which hasn't happened in a really long time because we have the best marriage ever. We have a plaque that proves it. Okay, it's on the wall in our bedroom. Gift from small group one time. I think they were mocking us. I'm not sure. 
but we just steered into it. So it's hanging in our room, okay? But here's the deal. When Carrie and I have a fight, if we don't deal with it right away, there starts to be this gulf between us. We're not not married any longer. We're still married. But every day when I wake up and there's this gulf between us, my relationship with her doesn't feel as tight and as good as it used to be. For Jonah, that's where he says, you banished me from your sight. Like this, this emotional feeling, you banished, no, 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 no. But what happens is there's this gap here. And it's the same in my marriage. And then it's not until we come together in forgiveness that all of a sudden the relationship is restored. Not that we become married again. We were always married, but it becomes what it was intended to be, the closeness again. And that's the same thing we experience with God when we refuse to repent. As a Christian, if we refuse to repent, it starts to, we start to feel so distant. We keep going. Um, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I mean, it's pretty graphic stuff. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life up from the pit. Brought my life up from the pit. So this is, again, this is Jonah saying, look, in brokenness, I prayed to you. I was in this situation because of my sin. And now you are bringing me back to life. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you and your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And, and what you get here, just okay, as, as we start to track through this, what you get is Jonah getting to the point where he says, look, those people that are going to trust something else when life gets hard, they are going to be disappointed. But I, with shouts of praise, will sacrifice to you. That means I'm going to submit to you and I will fulfill my vow. What I vow to you, I will make good. This is Jonah saying, finally, guess what, God? I'm going to go to Nineveh. What I have vowed, I will make good. Well, what Jonah has vowed as a prophet is to faithfully proclaim the word of the Lord. What he was not doing was faithfully proclaiming the word of the Lord. And so what happens is Jonah is broken and contrite, and he's at the point where he says, okay, God, what I vowed, I will make good on. He still doesn't like it. He still doesn't want to. He still doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do. He still doesn't have a burning desire to see the Ninevites spared. He still doesn't want to go there and see those people and talk to those people and bring them God's grace. But he gets to this point where he says, okay, God, what I said I would do, I will do. And in response, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How graphic is that? Like, I mean, think about that. Like, like okay, Jonah, <laughs> repentance is yours. Or you've repented, so redemption is yours. So the fish vomits him out on dry land. It's pretty gross, right? And I, I want to say again, we read something like that and we say, well, Matt, that's just fanciful Bible talk. That's one of the reasons people don't trust the Bible because it has things about people getting swallowed by whales and then vomited out on dry land. And I get it. I mean, I get it. Look, if you're here and you've got no Bible background, 
if you are here and, and the Bible doesn't make sense to you and you've never really read it and you've never really studied it, and I'm telling you, well, the Bible says this and we believe it's true, and you're like, okay, check, please, I'm out. I get it. I'm just going to ask you to trust me, and I'm going to ask you um, to do your own research on the Bible. Check it. Honestly, do some research. Find out if this has ever been proven false. Find out if this has ever claimed something to be true that did not turn out to be true. Find out if there is any reliable evidence that says that this is not the word of God. And if you can find that, okay, um, that's reliable evidence that says, not, not like some guy, you know, Bob on the internet, but some reliable evidence that says, hey, you know what, in archaeology, in history, we found something that happened that contradicts the Bible. So therefore, we can say the Bible is not true. Okay, then you've got it. But here's the deal. You're not going to find that because it doesn't exist. Okay? So we believe this to be the word of God. We believe this to be true. Jesus Christ himself references this story as truth. And so we believe it to be true no matter how fanciful it sounds. Jonah, because of his sin, ended up in the belly of the whale. Jonah finally, finally moved past his stubbornness and came to a point where he called out to God and God delivered. Now, if you're like me, you have your own struggles that have nothing to do with Nineveh and nothing to do with whales, but you need to repent. So I want to talk to you just briefly about what repentance looks like. And we're going to start with David. And I'm going to tell you this. Repentance has, when you want to really repent, like if you want real repentance, you want your life to change and you want it to be different. Now, if you don't want your life to be different, then you can't really repent. Some people, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's any of you, uh, I'm not thinking of people in my head, but people that I've talked to in my office or things that I read or, or or, or things that I hear, there are some people that want it both ways. See, what they want is, I want this intimate, tight relationship with the God of the universe. I want to be known as a Christian. I want to be known as a child of God. I want to feel close to God. And that is a true thing. They really feel that way in their heart. They want this from, from the core of their being and the depths of their soul. They're like, I want this relationship with God. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I, I, I want my life to make sense. I want there to be meaning, and I want there to be purpose, and I want all of it. And that that resonates with them, and it's true. But at the same time, they're like, you know what, though? I kind of like this part of my life the way it is, and I'd like God to leave it alone. I kind of like spending my money the way that I spend my money, and I don't want God to touch that. I kind of like, like sex. And even though I'm not married, I, I don't want God to touch that. Right? I kind of like, um, you know just being able to ignore needs without embracing needs. And I don't want God to have a part of that. Like, I want all of the blessing, and I want the relationship, and I want the closeness, and I want all of that. But there's part of my life that he doesn't get to have, and I don't want him around it. And I don't, I don't want him to mess with all of that. And so we start to have this struggle, and that happens a lot. God is probably not going to have any of you swallowed by a fish, but what's going to happen is God is going to start to bring pressure. And if you are a, a Christ follower, there will be a moment where you will know in your heart that what you have to do is repent. I don't know if you will. I don't know if you will. But if you're honest, I know that there is a moment where you will know that you're supposed to. 
you will know that there's a moment where you are supposed to repent, you are supposed to turn from your evil, you are supposed to put your sin aside, and you are supposed to chase God. That will happen. What you do with it is on you, but here's the deal. If you want to really repent, it just really takes two things. And when you really repent with those two things, there is always a promise that follows. And so here's what they are. Let's just look. Psalm 40, 11 through 13. Uh, one thing it takes when you are going to repent is it just takes admission. You have to admit. If we were back at the AHA series, we would call this honesty. But you have to admit. You have to be honest. You have to understand where you are and why you're there. Lord, this is David talking. Um, by the way, this is David in trouble running for his life. That's what's happening. He's not in the belly of a fish, but he's running for his life. He's running for his life because his son is trying to kill him. His son is trying to kill him. Um, uh, and, and, and usurp the kingdom and take it over, and David is running for his life. And it's in that context that David writes Psalm 40. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me, for trouble surrounds me. Too many to count. Trouble surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly and help me. And what's so great about this is that David in this context is owning all of it. His son, his flesh and blood, the person he's cared for, that he's, that he's provided for, his son is trying to take his throne and kill him. You would think if anybody was in a position to blame somebody else, it would be David. But David understands that those were the tightening of circumstances because of his sinfulness. Okay, and we can talk about his sinfulness later. He had an affair. He ordered a murder. Some things happened. God says, you're going to be judged because of that if you don't repent. So he says, my sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. There's admission there's admission right there. My sins have done this to me. One of the things you have to understand about real repentance, you have to own it. If you are really in the mood to repent, if you are really trying to repent, when God puts that on you that, you know what, you need to turn away from this and you need to repent, then you do not get to play the victim. Yes, life is hard. Yes, circumstances are problematic. Yes, things have happened in your life that are unfair. Yes, other people have sinned against you. Yes, all of it is bad. No, you don't get to be the victim. If you really want to repent, then you have got to own it all. David really wants to repent. Okay, In all of this, what he says to God is, my sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. I have done this to myself. And this is the hard part of repentance where you have to own it, where you can't be the victim, where you have to take responsibility for what's happened. It's easier to blame people. It's easier to make excuses. It's easier to say, mom, when you bought that desk, somebody had already carved my name with a backwards A in it. I mean, it's weird that you guys didn't look more carefully when you bought it. I feel like if you really loved me, you would have really looked for a desk that hadn't been carved into. Right? It's easier to blame everybody else. And then I did this one. My brother did it. And he did the A on backwards because he was trying to get me in trouble. He knew. And he was trying to get me in trouble. It's easy to blame everybody else. But real repentance starts with just admission of guilt. I have been wrong. I logged on and looked at things I shouldn't have logged on and looked at. 
I had a relationship that I shouldn't have had. I partook of something that I shouldn't have partook of. I, um, I, I played and flirted over here where I shouldn't have played and flirted. I took too many steps. I found comfort in substance instead of comfort in you. Whatever it is, we get to this point where we have to admit and own it. We can't be the victim and we can't make it somebody else's fault. Real repentance comes from owning it all. We keep going. Real repentance also comes from changing and choosing. If you want to repent, you have to choose, right? You can't just admit that you're wrong, but you have to choose. You take no delight, this is David talking, you take no delight in sacrifices and offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I've come as it's written about uh, me in scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. See, there's a point where if you want to really repent, then you have to choose. See, it's not just about owning it. When you own it, that's great. But remember, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's about doing a complete 180, turning the other direction, and walking away from your sin. See, when, when you really repent, you have to choose. And I love this about this. David says, you finally made me listen, and now I finally understand some of you, you think you're done. Like you, you don't have any growing to do. You don't have any choosing to do. You've lived your life. You've, you've done your stuff. You're good. But here's the thing. I don't care who you are. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care where you came from. Um, you're not done. Okay, something that we as a church have been talking a lot about leadership teams is just this simple idea. Look, faith is not a destination. It's a direction. You don't get there. You keep going towards it. It's a destination, not a direction. We have to keep moving. We're not ever done. If God has you breathing, God has growing for you to do. Okay? And the thing that David finally had to learn, oh man, sorry. The thing that David finally had to learn was that it wasn't enough just to do the right thing, but to do the right thing with the right heart. See, in, in the Old Testament, um, you always were supposed to make burnt offerings and sin offerings. You read through Leviticus, um, and, and you read a lot about burnt offerings and sin offerings, and you were always supposed to make burnt offerings and sin offerings. And so some people got in the habit of making burnt offerings or sin offerings and then living a life of debauchery. Right? But because I did the right things and I made the offerings, I'm cool. Like, I can go engage, like, you know, pardon um, the language, but they did this kind of thing. I can go engage in an orgy, but as long as I make my sin offering tomorrow, I'm all good. Right? Like, like I can cheat and rob, or in David's case, I can have sex with a warrior in my army's wife, and then when she gets pregnant, I can arrange to have him murdered. But I made my sin offering, so I'm all good. And, and what he's saying is, I finally learned. You made me listen. I finally learned. You don't care about the offering nearly as much as you care about the heart. And I choose now, God, 
to be obedient and follow you. So it's not just that I'll admit it, but it's that I will admit my guilt and I will choose to follow you. Real repentance takes the choosing to follow. And you know what? God doesn't want your, your ritual nearly as much as God wants you. See, again, some of you are in that boat where you're thinking, well, I'm here every Sunday, so that's good enough. I write my check and I throw it in the offering plate, so that gets me covered, right? I mean, I, I do the stuff. I got baptized. I said the words. I, I, I came forward for an altar call. I did whatever. I'm all set. And, and the reality is this. God doesn't want your ritual. He doesn't want your tradition or your policies or your procedures. They're fine. They're good. He'll take them. But that's not enough. He wants your heart. Okay? And then, oh, man. Seriously. There, we finish with this. Then David finally says this. After he admitted his sinfulness and he didn't play the victim and he chose um, to follow God and repent completely and turn from his sin and do what God had required of him, um, here's the promise. The promise is that God always redeems. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and he heard my cry and he lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire he set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing. Many will see what he's done and be amazed. And so what happens here, this is the promise of God. You got to wrap your head around this. You got to know this, is that when you seek real repentance, and real repentance means that you admit where you're wrong and you choose to live differently. That's real repentance. I admit where I've done wrong and I choose to live differently. And when you seek real repentance, here is the promise. God will save. We sang the song, our God saves. You will be redeemed. You will say with David, I waited patiently for the Lord and he listened to me and he heard my cry and he picked me up out of the pit of despair and he set my feet on solid rock and he gave my life new meaning. He gave my life new purpose. He cleared my path. He forgave my sin. He made my life worth something and he put me on the right direction and many will see what God has done in my life and many will hear about what God has done for me and many will respond and be amazed because of it. See, this is the promise of real redemption. That's why we sang, or we didn't sing, they sang the song, right? You, Jonah, the, the very um, beginning, we had Jonah singing and the angels inside the whale. By the way, that's not in the Bible. That part didn't happen. That's fanciful, okay? With the singing and jumping and dancing angels, but their message is clear. God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances. And so if you have jacked up the first one, or frankly, if you've jacked up the second, third, fourth, and fifth ones, if you've jacked up every opportunity you've ever been given, our God is the God of second chances. All you have to do is repent. And repentance involves two things. Repentance is two things. I admit my sinfulness. I don't play the victim. I admit where I've gone wrong and I choose to follow God. And so I don't care where you are this morning. I don't care how many times you've messed it up. I don't care if you've never even tried before. God is the God of second chances. He is ready and waiting 
for you to repent so that he can do this in your life. He can set your feet on solid rock and he can make all things new. And that's what we celebrate with communion. Ask the guys to come forward as we prepare um, to celebrate communion today. And, And as we do this, here's what we're going to do. We are going to celebrate through the taking of communion the God of the universe who is actually um, the God of, I I keep saying second chances, but that's actually false. It's the God of infinite chances. As long as you breathe, God is calling you to him. This is another one of those opportunities. And so if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian— You don't know this God personally that we're talking about. You know about him. Maybe you understand the Bible. You've heard of church before. You kind of know this. Listen to me. This is perhaps that time for you when you say, okay, God, for the first time ever, for the first time ever, I am going to surrender. I am going to say that I admit that I'm broken and I've sinned. And I am going to choose to turn from my sin and follow the God of the universe. Because what happens is Jesus Christ is God in flesh, has made the decision to come to earth to voluntarily lay down his life. He dies on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins so that you can choose to have your sins forgiven and to follow Jesus. And this is that opportunity like no other. There is no other offer like that ever. And when you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are choosing forgiveness and redemption, and God is picking you up out of the pit and putting you on solid ground. And so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to decide that for the first time. Or for some of us, maybe we need to take this opportunity to say, okay, God, yeah, there's areas of my life where I know I'm not where I should be, and I just, I want to admit it, and I want to turn from that, and I want to follow you. Can I tell you what a mistake would be? A mistake would be to come and take communion all the while knowing, remember I said, you'll know. All the while knowing that you need redemption. Knowing that you need to repent, but refusing to do it. It would be a mistake to come and take communion with that attitude. Because what happens then is I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. But I'm not going to let it impact my life one little bit. And that's problematic. But this is our opportunity to take communion. And we we celebrate that here in a very simple way. The best we can understand in Scripture is that communion is simple. Not a lot of pomp, not a lot of circumstance. Jesus in the upper room with the disciples took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body um, that's given for you. Do this to remember me. And so when we eat the bread, we're remembering. We're remembering that Christ was sacrificed on a cross, not because he did wrong, but to pay for our wrong. And then he poured the cup and he passed it and he said, drink this to remember me. He said, this is the blood in, in, in my, or this, this is my blood. It's the sign of the new covenant. It's poured out for you. And so when we drink the cup, we're remembering that when we accept and admit and we turn and follow, that that enters us into this family of God. Our sins are forgiven and we now have um, new life. And it's now incumbent on us to turn and follow Jesus. And we will stumble, but when we do, and we repent, there is forgiveness, and we can stand up, and we can keep going. And that's what we celebrate. So if you are, uh, whether you're a member here at this church or not, if you are a follower of Christ, and you feel like that in your heart of hearts, you are in a position where you are repenting, and you are turning, then the communion table is wide open. You don't have to be a member here. Um, Come join us for communion.
okay? Here's how we do it. You'll come up, you'll grab the bread and the drink, and then go back and sit down, and we'll all take communion together. If um, you are unable to come forward, just wait till we're done and raise your hand, and the elders will bring um, the bread and the cup to you um, so that you can have it where you are, okay? Would you pray with me, and then we'll start. Heavenly Father God, you are good and gracious and kind. We love, um, we love you, and we just worship you, and we honor you, and we thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins, that his body was broken on the cross so that we could have forgiveness. And we thank you that his blood was poured out as, as a sign of the new covenant so that we could enter into this relationship with you and not just receive forgiveness, but, but receive a whole new life that makes sense, that works, that has purpose and meaning. Father, help us to take communion seriously. That as we take the bread, that we are in mourning over our sins. And that as we drink the cup, that we are firmly planted and celebrated in the idea that we are forgiven and we are following Jesus. Thank you for breaking the chains of sin that bind us, that hold us down. Help us to live with meaning and passion as forgiven followers of Christ. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.